0: And welcome to today's Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host, broadcasting uh, live from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. So uh, we are going to be talking about Savannah's Act here. This is um, an important piece of legislation that remarkably received unanimous support in the U.S. Senate. We'll also be talking about the uh, near-unanimous congressional support for a significant piece of criminal justice reform legislation. When I say near, 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 near unanimous, there's a key person who's not involved, who's not on board. That's Mitch McConnell. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, we'll also talk about uh, T versus Rex. That would be uh, Donald Trump versus Rex Tillerson. And going on this week, actually today, Monday in Washington, D.C., a major effort to push for the new Green Deal. And we'll also talk about a, a teacher who kind of lost it and sang the U.S. National Anthem while cutting a student's hair and throwing big wads of hair behind her. It's a a crazy story. We'll talk about all these things today on the Fallon Farm. I want to take a quick second to uh, thank our local local business uh, partners, uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. Uh, That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Uh, Also, I want to take a second to thank... uh, Sid Cone and Catering by Sid. Sid offers uh, a wide range of uh, catering options, gluten, vegetarian, vegan, and as many ingredients as possible are, ser- are serviced uh, locally. Also, thanks to uh, Sergeant's Garage at 6th and College. Sergeant's Garage uh, has been working on four generations of my vehicles, and they do a great job at a very fair price every time. Thanks also to Cinco de mile Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines where you can get authentic Mexican food at great prices with very, very friendly, helpful service. Also, thanks to Diversity Insurance. Diversity is located at, let's see, 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. No appointment needed. Stop by. That's Diversity Insurance. Okay, so um, this story is interesting and troubling at the same time for for a number of reasons. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of it, Um, but a teacher in a California school Kind of lost it. She started. Um, she pulled a kid up to the front of the class and um, started cutting his hair, not in any kind of normal way that you would cut hair. In fact, she did. She did a job worse than a job I would have done on hair. She was just cutting big wads of it and throwing it behind her while singing the Star-Spangled Banner. The first impression is, wow, uh, there's something badly wrong with this teacher. Uh, and all, all I should say after she got done cutting two or three or four wads of hair out of this kid's head. She started – she said, I'm not done yet. And she's flashing these scissors like you might flash a weapon. And she's, you know, heading around the classroom trying to find someone else's hair to clip. Well, and the students kind of came to their senses at that point and all ran out the door. They just they just bolted out of the classroom. And, um, you know, so the first impression is, wow, this, this person is dangerous. Uh, this person is out of control. There's no reason for somebody like that to be in the classroom. And I think that's one thing we can probably agree on. No matter what else comes of this, she doesn't have. She really probably doesn't belong in the classroom. At least not without some kind of significant, uh, significant medication <laughs> issue being addressed. But interestingly, uh, the extensive dialogue about this on so social media includes a comment from Lily Gates, one of one of uh, the woman's uh, one of the um, one of the uh, one of the uh, teacher's students, who says. Um, uh, and her name is uh, Geisinger. The uh, and this gal Lily says, when everything was going on, I was terrified, and I so badly wanted to blame her. I was scared she was going to, you know, come back. Uh, what she did to my classmates and I was inexcusable. I'm not trying to make excuses for her. I am simply, I simply ask everyone to reconsider how they view her. She is a loving and kind lady. She is usually all smiles and laughs. This is not the Miss G we know and love. So I don't know where this is going to go, but it raises lots of questions about uh, about mental health care, about uh, about how people are tried and convicted in the press or even in social media before we really know all the details. Uh, there's a lot of elements that need to be addressed here. And of course, this whole conversation is, has led to a conversation about guns and on both sides, you know, some saying, well... Uh, for somehow this is another reason why we need guns in the classroom and another person saying yeah this is a really good example of why we don't want to arm teachers um anyway that that's kind of a sidebar to me i think this is primarily a mental health conversation and an important one we need to have okay hey let's gonna go we're gonna go to our phone line here and welcome uh welcome a guest from the uh, friends council national legislation to the program to talk about savannah's act and i'm not quite sure who's joining us so introduce yourself please
1: Hi, this is Amelia Keegan with the Friends Committee on National Legislation. Hi Amelia. Good to be talking with you. I understand. Hi. I understand
0: you're a fill-in for somebody who got sick unfortunately.
1: Yes, unfortunately, our expert uh, of uh, our lead of the Native American program Lucina Unco, is is out sick, so I'm filling in.
0: Okay, so Savannah's Act, uh, tell us uh, tell us in your own words uh, what the act is all about.
1: Sure. Well, uh As you may know, uh, the rate of missing and murdered Native women and girls is uh, unbelievably high. Uh, On some reservations, Native women face a murder uh, rate of over 10 times the national average. Right. And more than four in five American Indian and Alaska Native women have experienced violence in their lifetime. So Savannah's act... um, does uh, works to try and help on two critical areas, addressing both the coordination among jurisdictions and agencies. Um, and the second piece is access to database and better um, doing a better job at getting some of this information because it, it, a lot of the um, missing and, and murdered uh, Native women and girls, we don't have a lot of data and it's not really recorded well. so to help um, to help with that as well.
0: And so, will this be will this collection uh, process be a grassroots uh, uh, initiative, or is it going to be centralized, or how will that work?
1: Yeah, the idea is to help it uh, be more centralized and to include um, tribal access to certain um, kind of federal databases, like um, the criminal database, to help with. Um, the National Crime Information Center database, and including and tracking um, kind of uh, n- native missing murdered women and, and and girls into that as well.
0: Yeah. I think uh, awareness of this problem is just beginning to really percolate into the mainstream population. And and I've I've done some work on this in my other capacity with uh, with Bold Iowa, working with Indigenous Iowa, uh, Sage Sisters for Solidarity, other other Native American mm-hmm. groups that. Uh, that have you know been, been close to this problem, but have only been recently successful to kind of bring it to the attention of enough people where something's getting done so um, how do we explain the fact that you know we've gone from uh, really no action on this i mean this 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 concern has been out there for a long time, and what was the, what, were, what were the key elements that allowed this to suddenly become uh, an important and prominent you know, issue to the point that the entire U.S. Senate supported it.
1: Right. Great question. Well, there has, as you've said, there has been growing interest in this. Uh, Senator Hyde-Camp uh, introduced uh, this bill, uh, and I think uh, a big, a big uh, piece of this is kind of local grassroots right people bringing this issue to their members of congress and so we've seen more hearings in the senate uh, especially within the senate committee on indian affairs um holding more hearings and lifting up this issue a lot more and right. so i think that that kind of bringing the issue more to the center of um conscious of uh members of congress has been a, a big piece of this
0: yeah and uh Again, unanimous support. Was that a bit of a surprise?
1: You know, it's it's a surprise in this Congress because so few things get (laughs) kind of that level of bipartisan support. But when you think of the actual issue and the piece of legislation, it should be kind of a no-brainer, right? Right, right. Um, It shouldn't be controversial at all. And so in that respect, um, you know, it, it just makes sense that it would go through by unanimous consent. Yeah.
0: And now it's not a done deal yet. We have the U.S. House to contend with, correct?
1: That's correct. It needs to pass the House, and we've only got uh, two weeks left before the end of the legislative session. And the House Judiciary Committee hasn't taken action on this. so. our hope is that they can you know when the when Congress wants to do something quickly they're able to do it, and they oftentimes pass a lot of legislation really quickly um, in the final days of of the Congress. so we hope that it can get the same sort of kind of bipartisan support and slide through in the end of the Congress, otherwise they're going to have to start all over again right. um, next right. year
0: yeah so uh, i mean is it is, does it is it looking pretty positive?
1: Well, we'll see. I mean, we've been focusing so much on getting this through the Senate. Now we're really uh, moving to the House, and we really have to talk okay. to House leadership to try and see if we can get this uh, on what's called the suspension calendar. Right. Um, there are a whole host of bills to just be able to slide through in the, the yeah. final days.
0: And what do we uh, just concretely looking forward? Again, we have a tremendous problem. With, I mean, with that the percentage of, of women that go missing or end up murdered in indigenous communities is much higher, as you pointed out, than it is in the general population. And uh, I guess specifically, how do you, how do you see this uh, bill helping out? Well, I, and, it may, and it may take a while for all the provisions to kick in, but uh, what, uh, other than raising awareness about the problem, how do you see this uh, specifically benefiting uh, indigenous communities?
1: Well, it's um, specifically helping kind of develop some protocols so that these um, cases can be more standardized and how um, and how the Department of Justice is coordinating with tribes and different enforcement agencies is really important. And being able to get this information and, and being able to collect this data and including that data in some of the databases right. is, is really critical as well. And, and, that,
0: and, and that is yeah. important, but, I mean, again – how do we? How does that translate into preventing these kinds of attacks and and murders and rapes from happening?
1: Well, I think it's this is less on the prevention end, but more of when um, someone does go missing to be able to respond very very quickly in in an effective uh, and efficient way, and so that's where this. This data uh, and that sort of coordination is absolutely essential, as you know. Kind of those first hours are right. are really key, and so this will help with that. And hopefully, then the more effective um, the kind of the after someone goes those missing and being able to respond to that, then hopefully the. Um, the pre- ultimately that will also right. lead to right
0: okay prevention. i get you yeah so is there anything congress is considering or should consider that might help on the on the other end of the spectrum where uh, where we could take other actions that we could take that might prevent uh, the the frequency of indigenous women being murdered or missing
1: Sure. Well, I mean, another thing, there are two other um, bills that we've been following. One is the Violence Against Women Act, and that is also up for reauthorization. And the 2013 um, bill kind of allowed, expanded and allowed tribal courts to prosecute non-native perpetrators of domestic violence, but um, that was pretty limited, and so there are a lot of other areas that were excluded from that. So um, tribal courts cannot prosecute non-Native persecutors for sexual violence, for stalking, for sex trafficking, or for child abuse. So being able to expand um, tribal jurisdiction and tribal courts for that, we think that that is also really important.
0: Well, that certainly makes sense. If somebody from a foreign country is in our country and commits a crime, we have the right and responsibility to take action so right. given the sovereignty of native communities why should they not also have that opportunity if uh, a non-native person entering that that, uh, that community commits an offense that makes perfect sense
1: right
0: yeah right. and what and what is is, is that uh, how is that legislation progressing
1: so we're, we're following it. Again, it expires um, in two weeks, and so Congress has to decide whether they're going to do a full reauthorization, whether they're just going to extend it for a period of time. Um, but there have been some efforts to try and get that tribal um, jurisdiction expansion included in the reauthorization. And so right. uh, members of Congress really need to hear um, from their constituents that this is an important piece to include.
0: Great. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to call with uh, call us, Amelia. And uh, if folks want to be in touch with uh, Friends Committee on National Legislation, uh, where do they go?
1: Absolutely. Uh, they can go to www.fcnl.org. And we have uh, continuous updates on this and other issues. We also have a newsletter, our Native American legislative update that goes out, so people can sign up for that as well. Um, and, yeah.
0: Okay. Great. And in Iowa, I know that uh, Bold Iowa, Indigenous, Indigenous Iowa, and also Sage Sisters for Solidarity are three groups that are working on and tracking this issue. So, again, uh, I think that it's great that awareness is, is increasing and that Congress is uh, – uh, well, at least the U.S. Senate and hopefully the U.S. Congress as a whole right. is poised to do something important on this and, and that they keep moving forward on the uh, reauthorization of the Violence Against uh, Women Act. So good stuff. Thanks for calling, Amelia. Right. Thank you. Folks, we'll take a short break here on the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you back in a minute
2: Community CPA and Associates, with locations in Des Moines and Coralville, is the perfect place to go for all of your tax and accounting needs. Community CPA offers a wide array of services, from tax planning to business IT solutions. Call Community CPA today at 515-288-3188 or visit www.communitycpa.com for more information.
0: Hi, folks, it's Ed Fallon reminding you that you can eat Iowa-grown food all winter long at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Over 90% of the food served at Hawk comes from Iowa farms, and their dishes are amazing. I once brought a guy there from New York, and he was blown away by the experience. He said it was like any fine dining you'd enjoy in Greenwich Village, but at one-fourth the price. So don't go all the way to to New York City when you can enjoy gourmet dining prepared with Iowa-grown food at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village.
3: Ritual Cafe is located at 13th and Locust in beautiful downtown Des Moines. It's a great place for coffee, tea, smoothies, and a full vegetarian menu. Ritual Cafe also features music on the weekends. For more information, call Ritual Cafe at 515-288-4872. That's 515-288-4872. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sergeant's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sergeants to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sergeants always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sergeant's Garage at 246-8149. That's 246-8149.
2: When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like our cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, and delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let our catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Our expert floral designers can even customize perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market. Good food, great entertaining.
0: Uh, Ed Fallon with you here as we uh, discuss criminal justice reform. That that has long been a priority for me, uh, something I worked on extensively back in the 90s and early 2000s when I was a state lawmaker. Uh, Very distressing to see the extent to which we have um, made the criminal justice system more and more punitive, Uh, more and more... Actions that really ought to be treated as um, either mental health problems or substance abuse problems become criminal acts that land people in prison for incredible sentences. Uh, and of course, uh, one thing that legislatures and the U.S. Congress has have done over the years is to uh, as it w- to take um, to require mandatory minimum sentences and to take away judicial discretion, so the judges no longer have the opportunity to say, "Yeah, given the circumstances." We're going to approach this particular offense in a way that maybe requires community service uh, in lieu of some part of the sentence being served in prison. Who knows? Lots of possibilities, but basically uh, standardizing the the system, uh, requiring it a, a significant amount of time in prison without any exceptions, and it's led to a, a lot of people being locked up for ridiculous amounts of time when, again, again we're dealing with a mental health or a substance abuse problem. And so it's encouraging to see the pendulum swinging back in a more reasonable direction. We've seen that here in Iowa at the state level uh, with minimal success. Um, again, incremental reform in a intelligent direction. And now we have the U.S. Congress uh, attempting to pass criminal justice reform. Again, it's not the uh, – it, it, it is it's incremental progress. It's not the overhaul that's desperately needed, but – In politics, sometimes you just take what you can get. And, uh, you, hopefully you regard it as a first step and it leads to other steps. Now, admittedly, sometimes what happens in politics is they do something incremental as a way to take the pressure off and then they go away and forget about it. That's not good. That's, that's what, that, that should not happen in this case because we've got a, a major problem. So, interestingly, it seems like, uh, most, I mean, we just got done talking about Savannah's Act. Where we had unanimous support for a bill important to indigenous communities in the U.S. Senate, and with uh, the the um, Criminal Criminal Justice Reform Act, we see most lawmakers in Congress ready to do something. Interestingly, uh, and disturbingly, one opponent is Mitch McConnell, the head hog of the U.S. Senate, <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, i don 't quite get what's why he is um why he is uh so reticent to this now on our side on the side of reform is president trump <laughs> go figure politics makes strange bedf- bedfellows in this case um in this case we've got McConnell off in a bed by himself it seems and uh, unfortunately he's um he's pretty uh, pretty um you know he's pretty much in charge of that decision which is Kind of an historical change because historically, the chair of a particular committee, in this case dealing with the criminal justice reform bill, judiciary, the chair in this case being Chuck Grassley, would have the authority to decide whether to bring that bill up or not. And Grassley is uh, is unhappy with McConnell. And part of it, he's saying, you know, hey, I went to bat for you with your court nominees and now we can't get this done. Again, I don't you know, I I don't I don't I don't often see eye to eye with Chuck Grassley. I rarely see eye to eye with President Trump. But um, <laughs> this is disturbing that Mitch McConnell is having this kind of authority uh, against something that makes so much sense. Uh and again, just beginning to reduce mandatory minimums, uh beginning to push more people into community-based uh community corrections. Now, This does come with a caveat because one thing that has happened in criminal justice is that more and more private prisons have come along and those prisons have thrived on locking up people. They make a lot of money at that. Interestingly, when I first saw this, I thought, well, what's happening here? Uh, A for-profit prison in Florida is supporting the Criminal Justice Reform Act. Well, that surprised me because big corporations usually do what's in the best interest of their bottom line. So – Upon studying it a bit more, it looks like um, <laughs> at least this particular for-profit prison is in line to benefit. Uh, and, you know, as as if the bill passes and reduces, you know, reduces recidivism, recidivism rates by putting more people into community-based corrections program, programs. This company will benefit from that because not only do they 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 have a they have prisons, they also monitor or they also manage those programs. So. <laughs> Anyway, it's, uh, it's an interesting situation. The bottom line is uh, it's an idea that everybody seems to be on board with except for a couple of people led by Mitch McConnell. We'll see what happens. Again, it's, a, it's an idea that I think um, a lot of people say needs to be addressed. Whether this is the right bill to do it or not, you know, I haven't studied it in enough detail. It seems like most folks are on board. I'm almost certain that even if it does accomplish something, it will not be anywhere near enough uh, in terms of what's needed to address a problem that has been, you know, that has snowballed over a matter of decades. All right. So, hey, we'll be back in a few minutes, folks. Uh, we're going to take a short break here and, and hear from some of the other sponsors of, the, uh, the, of this station, La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, T versus Rex. That would be Trump versus Rex Tillerson. Ed Fallon with you on the Fallon Forum, broadcasting from Lorena, twelve sixty a.m. and ninety six point five FM in the heart of the America's Heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, also known affectionately, at least by me, as the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. A quick shout out to some of our local business uh, partners here in the Des Moines metro. Thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast Fourteenth Street, authentic Mexican food at great prices and excellent service as well. Uh, thanks also to Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. Uh, all of your insurance needs met under one roof. No appointment needed, stop by. That's Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand Ave. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines' East Village, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. That's Hawk, H-O-Q, Restaurant. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has been treating animals large and small for over 30 years. Give her a shout. That's Dr. Kim Holding at Story County Veterinary Clinic. And finally, thanks to Community CPA and Associates with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. Ying Sa, the founder and director of Community CPA, has you covered. Give her a shout for all your tax and accounting needs. That's that's Community CPA and Associates. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Uh, Later in the program, we're going to discuss the new Green Deal, but we got to take a look at this dust up between um, President Trump and uh Rex Tillerson. Now, um Tillerson uh <laughs> was ousted as Secretary of State uh, a long time ago. <laughs> he did not last long in the uh Trump administration. Tillerson was somewhat candid, let's say, about the problems that he experienced in the Trump administration. And you know that's um, that's fair game. You know, if you're fired and somebody sticks a microphone in front of you, why should you not have the opportunity to explain why you thought uh, there may have been problems with your boss's decision to fire you? So uh, let's go to this clip. This is Rex Tillerson just last week describing some of his concerns about his tenure with President Trump.
3: He is a challenging individual was challenging for me uh, coming from the disciplined highly um, you know process oriented ExxonMobil corporation where everybody sang from the same hymnal or you got kicked out of the choir and to go to work for a man who is pretty undisciplined uh, doesn't doesn't like to read doesn't read briefing reports doesn't doesn't like to get into the details of a lot of things, but rather just kind of says, look, this is what I believe.
0: Yeah, so um, <laughs> that was that was Rex Tillerson. <clears throat> Again, in my other work as somebody fighting climate change, I've never been a fan of Rex Tillerson or ExxonMobil. Don't like the way that they discovered that climate change was a real problem back in the 1970s and then did nothing about it. But, you know, I, you, you, um, <laughs> you, you see this dust up between Trump and Tillerson and, and you, you kind of feel sorry for the guy <laughs> and especially given Trump's response. Um, of course, now remember, Trump fired Tillerson in a tweet. It wasn't like any kind of official publication notice. You know, step into my office, Rex. We got to talk. It was, it was. You're fired by tweet. Anyway, it's, uh, uh, that's. Uh, I, I, you know, I, you could say that. Well, this is the new technology. But I have a feeling going forward, when when America next elects a president, I don't think we're going to see uh, governing by tweet. But Tillerson was fired with a tweet message. And then, in response to Tillerson's comments about his concerns about the White House about how Trump didn't like to read and didn't read briefings, Trump responded by calling Tillerson dumb as a rock and lazy as hell <laughs> and uh okay, so i can if I wanted to be childish, I could describe anybody as being dumb as a rock or quote lazy as hell. And, you know, it's, it's, all it is is name calling. There's, there's nothing, there's no substance to that. I'm not saying, um, you know, this particular person is a little bit weak on his, his analysis of this, this, this sort of, uh, this sort of model. You know, just, you, you could offer some kind of constructive criticism that is, you know, detailed enough where you might have some analysis to, to, to base your conversation on, but dumb as a rock doesn't do it. Uh, <laughs> lazy as hell doesn't make any sense. I, I mean, you heard Tillerson just in that one little clip. For whatever faults he might have, dumb does not seem to be one of them. He sounds very articulate. Lazy as hell? I don't know. I, I assume that anybody who rose to be the head of ExxonMobil may be a lot of things, but I doubt lazy is one of them. So I, you know, it just seems, I, I, you know, you look at Watergate. listen, right, let's, let's reflect back on Watergate people there are a lot of people analyzing the political situation these days and thinking well um how come how come Trump is still president? he's done so many things wrong uh and you look at Nixon well you know, i mean Nixon what Nixon did was obviously very, very wrong, and he he was he was impeached it, it almost it, it again it's hard to compare even though they are even the basically largely because of the time difference i suppose it's like comparing apples and oranges but Still, we've got a lot of serious um, uh, offenses piling up here on the Trump administration's, you know, uh, scoreboard that uh, that could reasonably be considered grounds for dismissal, uh, impeachment, or 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 some other uh, some other disciplinary measure. And yet, it doesn't change. He just he just he just keeps plowing ahead and um i think some people are saying well why is that uh, well my suggestion is to look at history watergate took you know nixon congress showing nixon the door <laughs> took a long time uh there was a whole there were a whole string of incidences that that happened that were questionable that led up to the investigation the uh, the burglary and and eventually the uh, the the um you know, the resignation of of uh, Nixon in August of 1974, that took a long time. And, uh, you know, this may be – this presidency may be following the same course. And again, when you look at all the different concerns that are still out there um, – not just the way he has handled his staff, and now all this, all his staff and his biographer for that matter, all these different people who have been close to him in the past, who are now pushing back against him, who are speaking out against him. You know, his lawyer, his biographer, <laughs> some of his right hand men, yeah, mostly men, they're pushing back. And Uh, And and the and the big elephant in the room that still is uh, out there because that elephant's form has not been fully defined yet is the uh, investigation into the into possible collusion with Russia, and I think you know and, and and on top of that you've got all these 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 sex and relationship scandals these scandals involving paying off people. You know I have a feeling when when this stuff finally all comes together. Uh, it's going to look a lot worse for Trump than it ever looked for Richard Nixon. I I, I, I don't know for sure. But I, I do know for people who are concerned about what's going on and feeling impatient. Unfortunately, the wheels of government and the bigger the cog, the slower it moves. The federal government is huge and it moves very slowly. And it's going to continue to move slowly as it grinds through all these different uh, – offenses and alleged offenses uh and again particularly what's happened you know what did happen uh between Trump and Russia. So just just remember it took it took uh a long time for Nixon to be impeached. Uh impeachment impeachment may not be what happens in the case of uh, President Trump. It may be that at some point his own party backs away from him, even though that's not what's happening now. I mean, you, you we saw here in you know, I here in Iowa, we saw Chuck Grassley saying basically to any other Republican that might want to challenge Trump in the primary, you you're not welcome here. That's <laughs> basically what Trump basically what, what Grassley told uh any potential Republican challenger like like uh like former Ohio Governor Kasich. So uh It may be that at some point uh, that's not the case, that uh, Republicans start backing away. But uh, there are so many ways in which this could evolve into a serious problem for President Trump. Just stay tuned. We'll see what happens. Anyway, folks, we'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum to talk about the new Green Deal
2: Community CPA and Associates with locations in Des Moines and Coralville is the perfect place to go for all of your tax and accounting needs. Community CPA offers a wide array of services, from tax planning to business IT solutions. Call Community CPA today at 515-288-3188 or visit www.communitycpa.com for more information.
0: Hi folks, it's Ed Fallon reminding you that you can eat Iowa-grown food all winter long at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines' East Village. Over 90% of the food served at Hawk comes from Iowa farms, and their dishes are amazing. I once brought a guy there from New York and he was blown away by the experience. He said it was like any fine dining you'd enjoy in Greenwich Village, but at one-fourth the price. So don't go all the way to to New York City when you can enjoy gourmet dining prepared with Iowa-grown food at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village.
3: Ritual Cafe is located at 13th and Locust in beautiful downtown Des Moines. It's a great place for coffee, tea, smoothies, and a full vegetarian menu. Ritual Cafe also features music on the weekends. For more information call Ritual Cafe at 515-288-4872. That's 515-288-4872. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sergeant's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sergeant's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 246-8149. That's 246-8149.
2: When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like our cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, and delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let our catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Our expert floral designers can even customize perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market. Good food, great entertaining.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here for the final segment of our program. Unless you're listening on our community-owned stations, we'll be back with an additional segment uh, after the official break of the on-air, the, the the live program broadcasting on 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. That's Lorena in Des Moines. Okay, so Monday, today, December 10th, is a fairly big day for climate action because uh, there is a big push nationally to – uh, get Congress to jump on board to support the Green New Deal. Uh, with us on the phone is somebody who has uh, been blogging about that extensively, uh, Jeffrey Kissling, Hello, Jeffrey. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ed. Thank you. Yeah. So um, a big day in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere as people push to get their congressional delegation on board to support the Green New Deal, which has been led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and a handful of other Democrats uh that and again, they're calling for a, a total mobilization of our focus on addressing the climate crisis,
4: yeah, that's right,
0: <laughs> yeah, and um have you been tracking it all where well we'll start we'll start on the home base here where Iowa's congressional delegation stands on this
4: uh I don't know uh, I sent a message to uh um representative. David Young about this recently, but I haven't actually contacted
0: our senators yet. And he, of course, is uh, soon to be uh, leaving the stage and being replaced by Cindy Axney. And in northeast Iowa, Rob Rob Blum will be out, and uh, Abby Finkenauer will be taking his place. And neither has signed on. I mean, I I know again, Ocasio-Cortez, she is also a, a new member. She is not officially a member of the U.S. House yet, but she's already Leading the way with a bunch of other other new members and some, you know, some Democrats who've been around for a while. I don't know if there's any bipartisan support for this, but uh, there is. It's becoming a huge focus, uh, and it seems to me like there, there, you know, there there may be some some legs to this.
4: Yeah, it seems like it. As you mentioned today, there's a lot going on at, at the Capitol itself. Uh, from what we're seeing, it looks like. Uh, maybe thousands of young people are there on Capitol Hill some were uh, outside of Nancy Pelosi's office and getting ri- risking arrest and it's a uh, large crowd uh, on the grounds of the Capitol right now
0: and if people want to if, if people listening to the live broadcast right now want to uh, follow that what um, what online link do you recommend people check out
4: oh uh, um, if you can um, use Facebook to look for the Sunrise Movement, that seems to be one of the big uh, organizations behind this, and, and uh, yes. I think
0: they yeah, <laughs> Sunrise Movement. Yeah, that's um, I've heard of that, and uh, I can only recently. I think I think some things are moving so fast on this front, and this is good because they need to move fast. The UN is telling us we have uh, twelve years to figure this out. Um, even the uh, even the U.S. National Climate Assessment is saying we've got huge impacts coming our way if we don't figure this out. Uh, even at the state level, in Iowa, where, you know, we're, we're, we've are we're we had a, a report year after year by over, I think, about close to 200 scientists statewide are saying, hey, uh, these are the impacts coming our way, and if we don't address them now, we're going to be in big trouble. So...
4: Yeah, that, uh, that's right. Uh, what, I, what I like about this is it, it talks about being like a national mobilization kind of similar to how the country tooled up for war uh, back uh, in uh, those days. And it seems to be on the, the aim to be on the scale of what's needed to actually make an impact uh, quick enough that uh, we uh, can forestall some of the worst things that may be coming our way. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I like about it, it's not just about energy, it's kind of more of a, a retooling of our values as well. They talk about having uh, universal um, like a guaranteed job, and and a lot of different things related to the social and racial inequalities that we're experiencing right now. Trying to address those as well as the climate part are, uh, I think, it makes this really pretty exciting for me.
0: Yeah, and uh, again, timely. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. Uh, and and I I think the 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 list of uh, lawmakers who have signed on to this is pretty small still. But uh, yeah. it's really up to a lot of the folks at the grassroots level to talk to your members of Congress, and this should not be partisan. Uh, there's a lot of economic I mean, again, if, you're, if, if your representative is the type of Republican who is really focused on the economy, gosh, there's no, there's no better way to jumpstart local and national economic development right now than to push for, you know, this decentralized development of renewable energy. And I, I add that word decentralized because uh, because I don't I, th- I think there's there are legitimate concerns about the the concentration of wind development in the hands of just a just a couple monopolies uh, that's problematic and not necessary. We can address our energy challenges uh, with a more you know grassroots approach. Uh, we just need the framework. The commitment of government, and again, government sending signals to the market that hey, this is stuff that uh, that needs to happen because it's a greater, it's a greater good that we all have an investment in. So, I you know I I I hope that works out. And I don't know whether you've had a chance to study the details of the Green New Deal. I've not had a chance yet. So if you have, you're welcome to uh, you know fill us in on that.
4: Uh, Well, it's a pretty intense to in depth plan and I'm just trying to kind of get the aggressive as well, but uh, there are some things the summary that says uh, well basically uh, some of the key parts of the plan are to prepare in consultation with experts and leaders in business labor state and local government and tribal and academia bring all those together to work on the plan uh, and and some of the other things like the more social things like a guaranteed income, health care for all, uh, education for all. And people might be wondering how you're going to pay for all that. And from what I've been able to tell, a lot of it deals with um, some with some smart funding, uh, kind of what you're talking about with, with investment because local investment is a great way to, I mean, it's a positive for everyone. And it's also, uh, they also talk about reprioritizing what our, um, we pay our taxes for taking some of the billions away from the military budget would we'll go a long way to uh, helping to uh, support some of these new ideas.
0: So the the Green New Deal addresses more than just climate; it addresses other social safety uh, net issues that have been neglected. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. Right, and um, and the uh, the the Sunrise uh, movements. You know the, the description of their effort here uh, says that um, well, it, it puts the blame on on corporate Democrats. It says the reality of our situation is that the the, the Green New Deal has uh, popular support, but corporate Democrats are blocking progress to appease their donors. They've taken millions of dollars from fossil fuel lobbyists, executives, and corporate PACs. Which means they have millions of reasons to block the select committee and block legislation that their big donors don't approve. So <laughs> that's uh, they don't even the uh, the movement's you know description doesn't even mention Republicans, but of course I imagine that there's similar concerns in that party as well. But this is a big hill to climb. And yeah, again, it, it, again, it's, it's been it's less than a month old. It started. They started pushing this on November thirteenth. Yeah, uh-huh. if I understand that correctly, and we're December tenth, and it's already uh, really becoming in some at some in some levels the talk of the talk of the country. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, you know, any 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 suggestions on your part as to what people might do if they want to be more involved or we get more more uh, more information?
4: Uh, well, I guess uh, just kind of. Uh, Google the Green New Deal, there is starting to be quite a bit of information and talk to your congresspeople and even more talk to young people and and your friends and neighbors. I hope that this might be from the energy I'm kind of seeing from young people, you know, maybe reaching a tipping point like we did, like for maybe the civil rights movement or the anti war movement, where suddenly the switch is split and people really uh, engage. We're starting, people are starting to. Be, not be able to hide from climate change much anymore with all right. the disasters of fire and all those things.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. That's how social movements often work. Uh, Jeffrey, thanks for joining us, folks. We've been talking with Jeffrey Kissling here on the Fallon Forum. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll be back uh, next Monday at 11 o'clock. Stay tuned if you're listening on our community-owned stations. This is Ed Fallon signing off. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here as we look at the southern border. We've seen uh, photos and videos and news coverage of the uh, people at the border being gassed. And again, you know, it's of course the uh, the the folks who want to praise Donald Trump for being tough on immigrants will point to the few people who were throwing stones or some other projectile at uh, U.S. Border Patrol agents. And of course, that's wrong. Nobody supports that. Well, maybe a few people do. I don't. But it happens. And it it happened. You know, there's always the possibility that there's somebody who's just out of control. Or maybe it's an agent provocateur. This happens. Definitely happens. But it's also understandable because of the frustration that people feel because there is no legitimate means of of, uh, of, of getting through the process of, of, of applying for asylum. They're, they're waiting for, for so long in camps that are not not stable, not healthy. Um, and, you know, so I understand the frustration. And out of that frustration came those confrontations. And the response by our side should have been a lot more understanding. And first of all, they should have been a lot more prepared to maybe you know, to begin to process some of those asylum requests. But instead, they love love tear gas. And and we have those visions in our mind. Now now we have visions of people being arrested from our side of the border. Religious leaders going to the border to protest the way that immigrant families, again, many of them involving children, are being treated. Uh, About 400 demonstrators from uh, a whole, a wide range of, uh, of, of denominations showed up in support of the, uh, the Central Americans who were seeking asylum. 32 of those religious leaders and uh, other activists were arrested uh, this week. And um, more than 400 uh, showed up. And not just from Christian churches, from mosques, from uh, Jewish synagogues, uh, and also from indigenous communities. And they were uh, demanding that the process of uh, detention and deportation end. They were calling for the U.S. government to stop that um, and to welcome the folks who have arrived in, uh, at the border. Uh, they sang, they prayed, they um, walked toward the border uh, sporting T-shirts saying "Love knows no borders," that sort of thing. Some of them in their frocks, their their religious attire, their the appropriate headgear uh, for you know, particularly for Muslim, uh, for imams and uh, rabbis. And they were, of course, um, arrested. You know, taken away in handcuffs once they entered this area that is designated as uh, as off limits. Uh, Checking this story in um, from The Guardian, which, again, a publication I respect a lot. They're quoting um, one participant, Joyce Ajluni. She is the uh, general secretary of of AFSC, the American Friends Service Committee. And they were instrumental in helping to organize the protest. And uh, she says, quote, As a Quaker who believes in our shared humanity, we are calling on the U.S. to respect the rights of migrants. And, of course, some are saying, well, they are being respected. How is that possible? How, how do you respect somebody by you know, letting them live in this horrible you know, detention camp for weeks and weeks and months and months and, and, and not recognize that they're coming from a situation that is, is, is extremely dangerous, uh, where their lives are in, in jeopardy. Uh, and, and yet again, we've, we've known they're coming for a long time. We could have easily expedited the asylum process, but no, we chose this route instead. We sent uh, Trump, the President Trump, chose to send troops to the border instead. But like I said, there were powerful images um, of children and women and, and others being gassed by border patrol pol- uh, officials, and now we have these images of arrests and uh, detention on our side of the border of people who went there, uh, driven by their faith, by their passion for justice by their concern about immigrants, to try to help out, to try to do what they could. And, you know, I, you know there, there's a lot of gray area in the Bible. One thing that's not at all gray is where it says, you shall be kind to the stranger. You know, remember that you were once strangers in a foreign land, in Israel, where you were, or in Egypt, rather, where, Israeli, where, the, where Hebrew slaves were kept for a long time. So, you know, the Bible's pretty clear about that. Remember what it was like and be kind to the stranger in your midst. So this is not being kind to the stranger in our midst. And a lot of folks on the evangelical, in the evangelical world get that. I, I had a call from one this week who said, you know, we want to we want to go to the border, we want to do what we can. And so uh, you know, I, I hope this is not just multi-denominational, but that it crosses across the political spectrum as well. Because, um, you know, again, I know Trump is pandering to uh, folks who are concerned about their well-being, um, their job security, and a lot of other, you know, a lot of legitimate problems that are affecting us. And it's easy to find a scapegoat in the immigrant community without understanding that, in fact, you know, in fact, we could use their labor here. There's so many places in which we don't have enough you know workforce to do the job that needs to be done and also to understand where they're coming from and why and what role US foreign policy over the past many decades has played in creating and and, and enabling this crisis in Central America so you know the the fact that <clears throat> that religious communities across the political spectrum understand that this this uh, aggressive hostile militarized response is not the way to go is very encouraging Uh, you know i would also point out that among conservative think tanks there are some like the cato institute that understand that if you truly believe in the free flow of goods and labor then there should be no restriction to immigration at any border So, you know, the Cato Institute, for all their conservative credentials, has one of the most uh, liberal approaches to immigration of any group I've heard. We will see what happens next. Um, Right now, again, we've got terrible conditions on the Tijuana, uh, the Mexican side of the border in Tijuana, and um, increased pressure from our side of the border to um, demonstrate a more humanitarian response to this crisis. And meanwhile, of course, uh, President Trump weighs in uh, this is just in today. Uh, we're, this conversation is happening on Tuesday, and uh, the president. <laughs> I, I love the uh, the um, subheading in Vox. The president makes a self defeating case for the wall. He says, "I secured the border," and then an hour later, he says, "I need billions for a wall to secure the border." <laughs> so, which is it, Mr. President? According to the article, he he wants us to believe that that, that the Mexican the border along. Uh, with Mexico is now secured because of the um, measures and steps that he's taken. Yeah, he posted this, uh, This is, I believe this is a tweet ahead of his uh, meeting today uh, with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and incoming House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, in order to avoid a government shutdown, of course, he wants money for the border wall. He wants $5 billion. Of course, remember now, Remember who he said was going to pay for that wall back during the campaign? Mexico. Oh, yeah. They're just stepping right up to the plate on that one. Yeah, who didn't see that coming? And especially now that we have a Mexican government uh, under Obrador, who is, um, you know, you know, quite a bit further to the left politically than President Trump. So, um Trump wants five million. He, he estimates that the cost of building the wall. Well, I'm not sure if this is his estimate or someone else's, but the estimate is about 20 billion to construct the whole thing. Nancy Pelosi has indicated that there's not an interest in in approving that money. Uh, that to her credit, she finds it immoral, ineffective, and expensive. It's hard to it's hard to argue against the expensive side of it. I don't know. I don't know if anybody would disagree with that. And I certainly agree with Pelosi on it being immoral and also ineffective. And, uh, you know, Trump uh, sent a tweet out this morning, as he often does. This is where we find the most uh, uh, informative policy uh, statements by President Trump. He uh, he accused Democrats uh, of pushing for open borders for anyone to come. This is quote, quote, open borders for anyone to come in. This brings large scale crime and disease. Well, that's a new one. I know he used to complain about criminals coming in and drug dealers and rapists, but now we got people bringing in disease as well. Well, if, they, if they're bringing in disease, they're probably picking it up from the incredibly unsanitary camps they're forced to live, with, live in in Tijuana. Unlike the very conservative Cato Institute, congressional Democrats don't actually support open borders. <laughs> uh, and uh, according to, I believe, military and and uh, medical experts, they've made it clear that migrants aren't posing a public health concern. So um, after this uh, tweet about Trump blasting Democrats for wanting open borders, you know, saying that all these immigrants are going to bring crime and disease into the country, Trump says, and I quote his tweet, however, for strictly political reasons and because they have been pulled so far left, do not want border security. I'm not even sure what that means. He goes on to say they want open borders for anyone to come in. Okay, that's that's basically from the same tweet I just shared. I, I but is uh, I'm, I'm trying to find his second tweet here. Um, yeah, well he goes on to say that he wants this five million or five oh sorry five billion toward the twenty billion for the wall that's already there to secure the border. It just doesn't make any sense. I I don't know how much longer this can continue. This um, this governing by tweet and saying whatever comes into your mind. I mean, we heard it from Rex Tillerson this week, or last week rather, that there's no discipline in the White House, uh, that the president doesn't read. He doesn't uh, respond to briefings. He doesn't respond to advice or criticism from his his, uh, cabinet. He just wants to go off and do it his way. And uh, that again is often done without any consultation with facts or reality. I don't know how long this is going to continue, but it's not. The Trump presidency is not sustainable. <laughs> you you can't sustain uh, this level of disinformation, uh, this uh, this level of, um, of of lack of any foundation to what you're saying. And again, the biggest problem is it's costing a, a lot. Of, costing us a lot of money a heck of a lot of credibility, and most importantly, it's hurting real people. In this case, it's hurting a lot of very, very poor and downtrodden people from Central America who uh, are are merely trying to get away from a horrible situation. Now, I don't know how many people listening to this program have been to uh, Central America or to Mexico. I was uh, close to Central America. I've never been to south of Mexico, but I've been to Chiapas which is close to the border of Guatemala and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, I mean the, yeah the soil well the soil is nothing like we have here in Iowa nearly I mean, there's there's very few places in the world you're going to find soil like this. but there's still agriculture and people make a living. Um, you know there's there's often there's usually enough water. There's, it's beautifully and it's warm and comfortable. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, I was down there in, in April up in the mountains. It was cool and comfortable. It's um, it's uh, it's hard to imagine anybody wanting to leave that if their life was okay, if they were safe, if they weren't in fear of being kidnapped or murdered or raped, um, if they were able to uh, operate in a fair economy with you know adequate government support where 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 it made sense you know you wouldn't want to leave that and come to an Iowa winter for example i mean i i love an iowa winter i wish we'd get one soon meaning some snow but uh we you know we have to understand folks aren't leaving you know guatemala honduras el salvador nicaragua because because they, they hate the climate. <laughs> because they, they don't love the land. Uh, it's, their, it's their home. It's where they, they have lived for generations. And they can't, it, it's not sustainable anymore because of the crime, the violence, uh, the dysfunction, and the poverty. And you know, maybe instead of sending 5,000 troops to the border, we should send 5,000 humanitarian workers to these countries to help uh, and we should try, we should, we should work with the governments there, with the people there to to assure free and fair elections so we're actually putting in power people who are going to address the genuine uh, challenges facing folks in those countries. I mean, you know, Mexico, for all its problems, is uh, doing a lot better on that category. And that's one reason we haven't been seeing this vast influx of Mexican immigrants in recent years. The immigrants from our southern border have been from central america so again all we can do is sit back and analyze what trump says and point out the incredible and painful inconsistencies again in this case saying that he secured the border and an hour later saying he wants five billion bucks from congress to secure the border anyway we'll see where that goes uh i i i uh i just feel for the people down there and i feel for all the people who are trying to make a difference uh by going down to the border to help out. Anyway, my hat is off to the men and women of the of various religious traditions who are doing their part to help on the front lines. Thanks, folks. This is Ed Fallon signing off from the Fallon Forum.